0: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. On tonight's program, we bring you Arte y Cultura Como Siempre. We open it up with an interview with Vanessa Quesada, who has been part of the runs for Peace and Dignity. She has run all the way from Alaska to Argentina. And she's done this with indigenous groups that have work to do healing, to address injustice, and also to build solidarity. Our very own Nina Serrano will interview her. We also bring you an interview with Mario Piazza, the director of a film called Achacha Cucaracha, which tells a story of experimental counterculture art makers in the 70s in Argentina who, even under intense state repression, were able to make art that challenged the dictatorship. Larissa Chronicles would also like to take a moment to honor Mariel Franco. Thousands mourn her in Brazil, Mariel Franco, she was killed and she was critical of police abuses and she has suffered the consequences, unfortunately. She she has deepened concerns around the President Michelle Temer's use of army to control violence. We'd like to take this moment to honor her life and also to express outrage around her murder. Mariel Franco, a Rio city councilwoman and prominent defender of afro brazilians who was shot in her car this past wednesday night in what many believe was a politically motivated execution please stay tuned and listen to our show which brings you art and analysis from across las americas muchisimas gracias stay tuned
1: This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have in the studio today, Vanessa Quisada. She comes from the San Antonio Peace and Dignity Journey. She's also part of the Esperanza Peace and Justice Center and the Society for Native Nations. Bienvenido, Vanessa. Ah,
2: Muchísimas gracias, señora Nina.
1: Well, can you explain to us what has been this journey that you've been on?
2: The Pace and Dignity Journey is a seven-month prayer run that we do, and it happens once every four years, starting in 1992, to fulfill the prophecy of the eagle and the condor, which is to reconnect our people from north and south, from Alaska all the way down to Argentina, and do a ceremonial run. With sacred staffs from different communities, different First Nations from all over Abiyayala. And we pray for a certain theme every four years.
1: By staff, you're not talking about people now. You're talking about staffs, like long sticks with a cook at the end.
2: (laughs) They're all different types. Each one comes from a different community. And most of them are made of our tree relatives. Of their region but they're all they contain medicines that are all from their different regions so some of them uh, have animal different elements of medicine and the plants that are from their region and so they're all basically embodying the dream spirit and fuerza of every single community that has a prayer for that community so Those of us that are carrying the staffs are like the messengers, and we say that the staffs actually do the work. That's the medicine. Uh, We're just their legs.
1: And you actually use your legs in this work, in this journey, because (laughs) you actually run five miles at a time. Is that right?
2: Correct. There's not a step that we haven't taken from Alaska down to Argentina. And you do it in relay form. Correct. So
1: you have run the
2: continent. Yes. Intercontinental. So I would say North America, I've run from, yes, Alaska to Panama, two continents.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wonderful. Amazing. (laughs) And you feel strong and well.
2: Now I do. (laughs) Now that I've had some time to recover. (laughs) Uh
1: So you did it in all kinds of weather.
2: Oh, yeah. In Alaska, it snowed our third day. All day long, we ran in snow. Sometimes it was pouring rain, especially in Central America. There's a lot of more tropical zones where, you know, you're running through two and three feet of water and through puddles and flooded lands. And, and yeah, there's a little bit of everything, dust storms.
1: And the purpose of the running is?
2: Prayer. It's a prayer. Every single step that we take is an offering of ourselves. And it's really to bring all of our communities together to get to know each other through peace and dignity. Recognizing that all of our tribes, all of our nations, there's so much value in our culture. And a lot of the youth doesn't necessarily see or feel as connected to that culture and kind of feels swept away in mainstream society and western society that's kind of taking over. And that pull for materialism and things like that. And so This really allows us, for me, it's been a really powerful medicine to see myself and um, each one of us and the medicine that we carry and the riqueza, that richness that comes uh, from our ancestors, from our people's resilience, from our culture, from our different ways that we connect to the land and, and to our people.
1: So is this mostly young people doing the running? How do the generations all participate
2: well, they're mainly their youngsters that are running. Um, however, we did have an elder from Jalisco, uh, El Coyote Prieto, that ran with us uh, from Jalisco all the way down to Panama. Mm. So we really do our best to include everyone, and the young and older elders, uh, medicine people. We've had people in wheelchairs. We've had all kinds of people because it's not really about the running itself, it's more about the prayer. And so we really keep this open to everyone um, with that open heart that's coming from a place of respect.
1: So are there gatherings at various points in the run when you pass on the staff? Is that when the generations come together and the exchanges happen?
2: Mm -hmm. Every morning, uh, once we wake up, we'll have breakfast with the community and then we gather in a circle. And at that time, when we say we're waking up the staffs, we lift the staffs, we share our songs. We usually have words and stories from the elders and the medicine people of that community. And then all day long, we're carrying those staffs and we're praying with those staffs till we get to the next community, at which time we have another circle with the new receiving community. And again, sharing songs and stories and medicine and then we'll lay the staffs down again to rest, at which time we'll have dinner with the community, and then we're able to rest as well.
1: I'm sure that the rest is very welcome by then. (laughs) They're five miles at a time, right?
2: Oh, yeah. It depends how people feel, you know, what condition they're in, but uh, we run about five miles at a time. Mm
1: -hmm. Wow. So you pass through different borders, different countries, and how do these official states respond to this and have you received support from them?
2: So one of the things about the run is that the prayer is that we're reuniting all the nations and so in that way we're we're bringing territories together that often span different nation-states and so... There have been some challenges in the past, including in 2016 when we ran to Nicaragua. Right there on that border between uh, Honduras and Nicaragua, we were stopped because their election was happening one week after the election in the United States. And so they were not accepting and not open to any groups of any sorts that were coming, especially those groups that also had people that were coming from the United States. Anywhere else for that matter, we weren't the only group that got turned away. And so, in this way, this is the first time that we've ever had this problem in, you know, the 24 years that we've been running and we've been carrying this prayer. We've never come across this problem. And so this is something really new that's alarming. And it's it's something that in 92, the elders really had this vision for us to carry this prayer as a prayer and not to get involved in any kind of politics or pushing any agendas. And at this point in time, everything's starting to collapse together and so those questions are arising again of becoming you know, a nonprofit organization and how are we going to maneuver and clarify with language that these nation-states or these borders are understanding because they're really, at the end of the day, political constructs, right?
1: Yes. Yes. So as you go from country to country, territory to territory, region to region, how is woman leadership? viewed and accepted,
2: Hmm. challenged? (laughs) It was challenged from Alaska down, to be honest. Um, The greatest challenges were definitely in Central America. There are certain places in Mexico and in Central America where women would not run by themselves, that women were catcalled, lured into the jungle, followed, given a hard time and things like that. And luckily, along the way, Some of those things that happened just in the timing where that runner was being picked up with the van or one of the runners just had this intuition you know to go check on that that runner and so all of these things come up and there's definitely a heaviness around femicides still you know all the way down a lot of people think oh chiapas or central america and honduras you know one of the most violent places in the world right now but there's also Every single community that, all the way from Alaska down, all through Canada, that told us stories of their missing and murdered Indigenous women and men as well. And so this is really something that's severely underreported, that a lot of us don't even have an idea of how many people are actually being disappeared, being murdered. And it's really up to us to to reinstate, you know, this communication amongst us that is away from the political constructs of the media and the corporations of what they want us to know but us really being able to reconnect in a way that's genuine to our roots and to our indigenous languages and being able to also find other ways. You know, we talked about borders, about breaking down these borders. Like That's not the world that we want to live in as youth. We want to be able to use uh, the waters between and our cultures, for example, there's a really great group in between uh, Mexico and Guatemala that are really using that strength of the water and their culture to bring together all the different Mayan pueblos to really destroy the borders and come down with the borders and and not recognize those borders and to remind ourselves that as Indigenous people, we've been able to cross into different territories and take care of our territory the way that we know how without being stopped, without having a passport, without having any of these documentations that are now required. So we have that task of being more creative of being able to connect and like listen not only to to the land and to the elements and but being able to remember how to do these offerings to the land because that's where our wisdom is kept our songs and everything you know a lot of people say that our language our culture is disappearing and it's not true we met this elder uh, Cree elder he only spoke Cree in Manitoba that said You know, the land, she keeps all of our teachings, all of our wisdom. And at any point, if we wanted to remember something, all we have to do is leave our offerings and, you know, give of our heart, whether that's in a song, whether that's a prayer, whether that's tobacco, whatever your medicine, you know, that you've been taught is, that that that's what you offer. And only then can you receive. And
1: what about the healing aspect of the work you do? What is the role of healing? And while you're telling us that, could you also share how you yourself learned some of this?
2: Mm. So healing is not necessarily the the purpose of the run, and I would say it's more of a, a byproduct of what happens. As we are praying and being so much more in contact with All of the elements with the air, with the land, with the water, with the rain. Oftentimes, you know, we'll sleep eh, wherever people sleep in that community, whether it's a teepee or out on the ground, uh, on a tarp, in homes that still have uh, the earth, you know, what we call now earth floors on the land. Being able to experience that every single day and being in a deep spiritual space with people and being able to open up in this way. Really makes us more sensitive to those messages from the land and, and from the stabs and from and through the people in different communities. And so, within that, we become more sensitive to the strength of our, I would say, like sacred places where our ancestors and our families would go um, to pray and they're really strong places that have power, that have strength, that have healing capacities that we recognize now as like healing because of different minerals through the springs or just the uh, the makeup of the land and of, of the soil, the content of the minerals, all these different things that now like science is proving why our ancestors did what they did when they somehow already knew, right? And so my healing has been able to come back to my community with a completely new set of eyes and being able to communicate with my heart, with the land, to really have that want to connect with the elders, to learn the medicines of the land, to learn about the traditional foods, to learn about why is it important to carry these traditions, to carry these medicine ways, and what that also implies for us as a responsibility to carry that because there's so much healing that can happen within our own bodies but also for the land just by going together and doing a ritual and praying and singing. I've seen it happen in my own community where our birthplace of the waters, Yanawana, it was going dry in 2012 and we were running for the water and one of the women had offered a few of the drops of the water from there before it had dried up and we felt that call and we started going to give more offerings and in that process, seven years later, it's flowing again. And all these things that we don't realize are possible, but there are still medicine people that know how to call upon that spirit of the water to come back or what we need to do to make sure that there's a better balance. Because there's all these things that are happening now, fracking, especially in Texas. We have fracking, we have detention centers, and they're layered. And we have women and children that are being incarcerated just for trying to cross this political construct of a border, and they're being fed this water that's coming from the fracking wells and that's coming from the surface water. It's completely toxic, it's flammable, Southwest Texas and it's something that is just growing horrifically. We're starting to see earthquakes from it. We're starting to see all these things happen in response to these chemicals that are being shot into the land to pull out the gas, and it's horrible, and it's something that, you know, not a lot of people are aware of happening. Same thing, as we're running in Canada, you're running down the highway, and there's this uh, curtain of trees And then you start to see these signs, and then you look beyond the small, thin tree line. It's a fracking site. I remember running and seeing that. Corporations are trying to keep it tucked away or places that people don't realize, you know, you can't see it. But in West Texas, right now, where my grandparents live, my cousin passed away from a brain tumor three years ago, and he worked on uh, one of those seismic sites, and he got a brain tumor. And so I started talking to some of the women that were working there, taking care of him in the home health and in the hospice centers and they said you know what if we had double the amount of hospice centers it would be full of brain and lung cancer patients from all the chemicals that are going up and so this is the the world that we're inheriting this is the world that we're leaving for our children and for our grandchildren so it's up to the younger generations to work with the older generations the the more seasoned and wise generations to hear the stories to learn the stories to really know where we are and what's going on around us ubicarnos bien like it's really important to know what's happening and how sacred our land is how sacred the air is and why we need to become protectors why we need to move in peace but also demand dignity for the things that we do because we are not accepting a world that's uninhabitable we need we need to take care of ourselves and we need to take care of all of that which gives us life so with that it's A really strong time right now for us to really be training and to be more creative, find more creative solutions that are natural and bring us back into balance, but also to have that strong voice to demand it and to be able to play by those political construct rules of being able to know the laws. We need to be educated. We need to know how to stand up for ourselves and how to show where the holes are for science and all of these other things so that we can also prove that our indigenous sciences are, are just as strong and even more timeless.
1: Well, this is <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here to tell us these things. They're profound, they're moving, and they're inspiring. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bless sí. <laughs> it.
2: Igualmente. Muchísimas gracias.
1: Vanessa Quesada, from the San Antonio Peace and Dignity Journey, the Esperanza Peace and Justice Center, and the Society for Native Nations.
3: El Son Jarocho es la bandera de un pueblo. Un pueblo en acción, caminemos y empecemos a recorrer un sonido musical, un sonido jamás visto, un sonido que viene desde el fondo de la tierra, un sonido que. Está por la madrugada y te doy mi cascada. Del pasado, vamos caminando haciendo un sendero distinto, surcando los caminos de la música, surcando los caminos del mundo. Llevamos nuestra identidad como bandera, somos, somos el sur.
4: Me encontré una cascabel, soledad, me encontré una cascabel, cantando por la llanura, andando por la llanura, me encontré una cascabel.
0: To La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. On tonight's program, we're very lucky to have filmmaker Mario Piazza, who is here in the studios with us. He's actually here all the way from Argentina. He's been working on a very important film that people can actually see here, in person, in Oakland, and just around the corner. And they can also talk to Mario if they get a chance to go to this screening. So we are really lucky to hear about this film, Hacha, acha Cucaracha. Muchísimas gracias, Mario, por estar aquí con nosotros.
5: Gran gusto, gran gusto estar aquí. I'm very pleased to be here.
0: <laughs> Wonderful, so first off, a lot of people are lacking context in terms of your film. Your film, was set in during a very important time in Argentina, and it deals with issues that if people don't have a historical context of the country, they may be a little confused of the importance. Can you first start off by telling us a little bit about what was happening in Argentina during the main parts of your film, what your film focuses on?
5: The character, the protagonist of the film are were young people during the late uh, 70s in in the city of Rosario Argentina I am of the uh, very same city of Rosario Argentina that time was not uh, quite a quite a joyous time it was time of the dictatorship very violent times and very obscure i would say with uh, heavy censorship over every action every a culture manifestation. And these people, these guys, uh, about seven years uh, younger than me in that period, they were 17 years old average. I was 24 or so, and and, and so they called me Mr. because I was older. (laughs) I was just 24. These guys proposed themselves to make uh, something they they were needing something uh, different what they did was uh, an uh, alternative art experimental art that started with music experimental music experimental theater and, and then progressively derived into uh, performances public interventions and that was for which the the group was properly known
0: I'm speaking to Mario Piazza. Mm-hmm. He is the director of the film Acha Acha Cucaracha. Which it really focuses on a crucial time in the 70s in Argentina, in Rosario, mm-hmm. which is speaking to the really crucial role that art played and also the risks that these young people took. So can you tell us a little bit about what kinds of stories did these young people tell, or what kind of emotions did they bring up while they took part in this very experimental, very avant-garde counterculture art?
5: What I did in the film is to to document about that experience of uh, 35 years ago, but also to document about the the people, that people, the the characters, the protagonists of the this real story. Documented in present time, what was moving is that all of them vindicate the, those actions from when they were young. No one of them renegades from that actions as they were a scene of uh, of youngsters.
0: You talk to these artists that really were taking these risks and were very committed to art in the 70s during this time of intense repression. And so you talk to them now. So it's not just archival footage, you speak to them now. What are some of the impacts that their involvement in this experimental art world had on their lives?
5: To the surprise of of themselves, these guys, the action of 35 years ago was compiled by researchers uh, in the political art uh, scene. The the actions were published in, in books and had been part of some uh, expositions, for example, at the Reina Sofia Museum and in Spain as part of... Uh, the story of the political art in Latin America.
0: And how did that impact them personally? How did their involvement impact them as
5: individuals? What is moving is that most of them remember those uh, years of youngsters as a crucial part of their formation as, as people, as, as, as men and women in this society.
0: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Cusnir. I'm speaking to Mario Piazza. He is the director of the film Acha Acha Cucaracha, which folks can see here in Oakland, so here in the Bay Area, and they can actually enjoy the film and have an opportunity to speak to the director as well during that screening, mm-hmm. and that um, will be a great opportunity. So... Mario, here at KPFA and here in the Bay Area, we're very committed to artists and culture work because we see culture as the vanguard of creating and imagining a better world. And that's a big part of of what we believe in. But that's something that art is not always seen in that way. The power of art is not always understood as something that could actually be a vehicle for change. I'm sure you've talked to so many people in the production of this film that you dedicated so much time to. Can you tell us about some of the things that you learned or observed through your interviews, just what you saw in terms of the connection between social change and art?
5: what i value about uh, these uh, people these young people of 30 years 35 years ago is that they they were so young they act by by impulse by the uh, uh, innocent impulse uh, w- we might say and i believe in what they were doing that action was not expressively against the dictatorship it would it would be suicide to do that. But their action attacked the, the basis of the culture that give a base to the dictatorship that made it possible.
0: Mario Piazza, you are the director of Acha Acha Cucaracha, this film that people are going to be lucky to be able to see here in Oakland. Can you give us the information? When will this screening be? Um, is it open to everyone? And what time will it be?
5: It will be on Friday, April 6th, 5 p.m. in the Auckland City Hall with free free entrance. So I, I want to invite everybody to come to see the film, to, to be with me in that special moment to me. What I would like to say is that I, I, I am really delighted to, be, to have the film selected in this festival. It's not easy to to have a a film selected in a a festival in the United States.
0: So tell us, we haven't mentioned the festival, so tell us, what festival is your film chosen to be a part of? That
5: was great. I I was not mm, very uh, aware of what kind of festival I was submitting to when I sent my film to the the Oakland International Film Festival. I think now they are special guys. (laughs) For one, the festival coincides in dates with the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. They are making homage of of this great uh, man of the of the human rights.
0: You'll be at the screening that date on April 6. You'll be there. Will you be available to answer questions about your film?
5: Certainly. With uh, my limitations (laughs) in English, of course. But what a great pleasure to to talk with the people. I I like very much to know what people uh, find of my films.
0: And so you are going to be showing this film there. If there are people that maybe don't live in our area, we have a lot of online listeners that listen all over California, maybe they are able to go to the screening how can they see your film or connect to your work
5: It's not uh, difficult to to find the film uh, in internet or, or at least to, to find the webpage you just put achacha-cucaracha and you will get to the um, to the webpage and also in um, a site in facebook and and then you can contact to me so far, the film is not uh, available uh, publicly in the in Internet, but uh, it will be uh, someday.
0: <laughs> and also the film, so if we have people listening, si tenemos radio escuches que hablan español, pues sin problema van a ver la película, but for all of our listeners that feel more comfortable yeah. in English, the film is completely subtitled, right?
5: Uh, right, that's right. The film is subtitled in English.
0: So everyone will be able to take advantage of this opportunity to not only see this film that talks about art that is used for social change in this crucial time and how young people kind of were able to tell these stories and create conversations through art that otherwise would not have been created, but they will also be able to hear about a time in history in Argentina that we don't hear much about. It's rare that you see films on the repression, political repression of in the 70s in Argentina mm-hmm. here in the Bay Area. And we have a comunidad, big comunidad of people who are here because of US intervention, because of repression in their home countries in America Latina. And there are, this is in many ways is a universal story because there are many yep. people that they, in their own countries, there's very similar political dynamics. That's why it can be really exciting to hear about these young people who actually in these moments took the opportunity to tell stories and create art. So it's a universal story that people can really connect to. And it's also an opportunity to if you have uh, young people in your life, students, kids, it's an opportunity for them to learn about a history that is not going to be a part of their history curriculum in schools and Mm -hmm. it's a story that I think can also make them think about their own lives and their own impact and how change can be made so Mario Piazza thank you so much for coming all this way you came all the way from Argentina to speak with us it's really wonderful we really appreciate your time and we're looking forward to hearing about your future projects as well.
5: I will add uh, one thing. The complete title is longer a longer one is Acha Acha cucaracha cucaño strikes again. It means it because uh, it's not just a documentary, a nostalgic documentary about something that occurred so so many years ago, but it's also uh, a way to to make it current. The proposal of of those of young uh, guys, and, uh, and the revelry, which way they uh, act.
0: Thank you so much for your time, and again, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of your work, and let's say they want to send you a note, let's say they want to talk to you about your work, tell them again how they can connect to you.
5: Through internet, it's not uh, difficult. You just put achacha, acha, kukracha. the website has an online form for contact, and uh you're right there and uh, uh, an email reached me. Thank you, Julieta.
6: Sigues en sintonía con KPFA. Yo soy Miguel Guerrero y en la línea telefónica desde la ciudad de Santiago de Chile nos acompaña el cantautor chileno GP. Bienvenido una vez más a KPFA GP. Hola, muchas gracias por la entrevista. Quisiera comentar que ahora que estás de regreso con una nueva gira en los Estados Unidos, que se va a iniciar precisamente en la ciudad de San Francisco, en California, en un momento les daremos todos los detalles, pero quisiera que nos cuentes sobre esta gira, ¿qué expectativas tienes?
7: Eh, Mira, la verdad que estamos súper contentos con la posibilidad de armar una segunda gira, digamos, eh, de varias ciudades en Estados Unidos, Ya hace dos años estuvimos por allá y realmente fue muy, 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 muy interesante. Eh, nos gustó muchísimo y tuvimos muy buena recepción. Estuvimos por eh, esa vez. Vean, empezamos a en los mismos lugares que vamos ahora. Chicago, Nueva York, Filadelfia, San Francisco, Austin, Texas, Los Ángeles. Y la verdad que estamos muy contentos. La verdad que nos hemos encontrado con muy buen recibimiento, buena vibra. Y estamos contentos, la verdad, sí.
6: Tú que viajas por muchos lugares y te presentas en diferentes países, ¿crees que hay algo de particular con el público de Estados Unidos, a diferencia de otros países donde has tocado?
7: Creo que en general todos los lugares son distintos, inclusive en Chile yo podría decir que el público del norte es distinto al sur, pero... En realidad yo creo que son sutilezas porque la esencia se conecta directamente con la música, es decir, el efecto que mi música puede tener para con el público es bastante similar en todos lados. La única diferencia podría ser en que ciertas personas conocen las canciones más que otras, pero la verdad que la reacción ante un ritmo como, por ejemplo, la canción Bombachaya, es la misma en muchos lados y y no ha sido la diferencia en Estados Unidos, donde donde hemos tocado un lugar lugar relativamente pequeño, otro festival un poco más grande, pero siempre las reacciones Es de una música que es bastante llevadera, bastante bailable en muchos aspectos. Y también en las canciones más tranquilas, también hay una manera de, de dejarse llevar con la música que es bastante similar a muchos lados. Y la respuesta de Estados Unidos, del público norteamericano, siempre ha sido muy buena, la verdad, en el sentido, siempre se, se ha dejado llevar.
6: Jepe, el Porque... año pasado tú publicaste tu sexto álbum de estudio, Ciencia Exacta. ¿Quiénes colaboran contigo en este nuevo disco y con quién trabajaste en la producción?
7: Eh, la producción la hizo Cristian Heine junto a Fernando Herrera. Fernando Herrera es uno de los músicos que justamente me va a acompañar a esta gira y ha tocado conmigo hace ya bastante tiempo. Y Cristian Heine es el productor que ha producido, valga la redundancia, mis últimos cuatro discos, así que ya había un largo bagaje y nos conocemos muchísimo y la verdad que fue un trabajo que disfrutamos mucho.
6: ¿Hay algunos músicos invitados eh, en las canciones?
7: Bueno, en realidad acá hay dos mujeres, que son las eh, personas que aparecen en los featuring, para mí muy importante, y muy importante no solo para, para el disco, sino que también importante para la escena chilena eh, ligada al folclor. Primero que nada está la señora María Esther Zamora, quien eh, es, a mi juicio, eh, la folclorista chilena viva más importante, digamos que existe. Ella se relaciona mucho con el folclor urbano, ya sea el bolero, el cuplé, la tonada, la cueca, la, la cumbia, etcétera. Y ella me acompaña en la canción Solo, en la canción que se llama Solo, y luego Juanita Parra, quien es la baterista actual del grupo Los Jaivas, que es el grupo legendario chileno de rock fusión folclore, ella me acompaña en la batería en la canción Flor del Canelo, así que la verdad que probablemente este haya sido uno de los featuring más importantes que, o de los más importantes que he hecho hasta ahora, porque son dos mujeres que admiro muchísimo, y que tienen un mundo realmente muy profundo, muy largo, un cuento muy profundo acá en Chile, y, y qué bonito que hayan podido generosamente digamos, participar en el disco.
6: Quisiera que conversemos un poco más sobre las diferentes escenas musicales y culturales en tu país, pero ¿qué te parece si mientras tanto escuchamos una de tus canciones?
7: Por supuesto, démosle, por favor. A continuación van a escuchar Hablar de Ti, que viene a ser el primer single de mi último disco Ciencia Exacta.
6: Aquí va.
4: Me gustan tus ojos azules, me encanta tu pelo que es como una nube que he llovido tanto que no tiene nada más que ocultar. Me encanta tu boca que dice que sabe, entiende y perdona a los sabios y giles que han comido tanto que han agotado su voluntad de querer. Me gusta que uses la palabra amigo cuando quiero estar un rato contigo, no hay ningún secreto que guarde conmigo sin preguntar Me encanta sentir así tu respiro habiéndose paso el invierno tan frío El mundo gigante cambiante y jodido es bueno sentirse así Y me encanta esa manera en ti Me gusta tanto que puedo quedarme a hablar sobre ti para siempre Me encanta esa manera Tu pelo que es como una nube que ha llovido, tanto que no tiene nada más que ocultar. Me encanta la fuerza que tu cuerpo tiene para conseguir lo que tuvo y que quiere. Mujer consecuente ahora y siempre hasta la final.
6: Escuchaste hablar de ti, sencillo del disco Ciencia Exacta de Jepe. Y Jepe nos acompaña en la línea telefónica desde Santiago de Chile. Eh, Jepe, en tu país hay una escena muy activa dentro de la música alternativa y el rock. Por un lado vemos propuestas como la tuya, con elementos del pop y del folclore latinoamericano, pero también hay mucho rock indie, metal, progresivo, etcétera. ¿En dónde se ubicaría tu música dentro de estas escenas?
7: Mira, lo que pasa es que yo considero lo siguiente, que en muchos lugares fuera de Chile, principalmente mi música entra en un ambiente o entra en un ámbito, más bien de música indie eh, eso me llama la atención y me parece muy bonito por demás de música más alternativa qué sé yo pero sabes que en Chile eh, el lugar que yo ocupo es más bien del pop entonces eso es, es bonito también para mí porque significa que yo no he cambiado ningún eh, o sea a ver digamos todo lo que he hecho hasta ahora musicalmente hablando ha sido un trabajo muy orgánico qué sé y he sido muy bien recibido por el por el ambiente más mainstream de Chile y eso por lo tanto me hace pensar que, que la música que tiene como un la música que hago no tiene como un, un nicho tan cerrado o predispuesto ¿cachai? pero me encanta moverme en esos dos mundos en el lado más del mainstream o del pop más digamos que más visible y por otro lado la parte de la música alternativa entonces o más indie más, indie, más underground si se quiere la verdad que yo me, me encanta moverme así porque siempre mi esencia va a ser de la underground Pero la voluntad o la gana de, de visibilizarme siempre tiene que ver con llegar a la mayor cantidad de gente posible. Y todo lo que hemos estado haciendo, ya sea en México, en Estados Unidos, en, qué sé yo, Colombia, España, etcétera, siempre he tenido esa dirección, sin cambiar ningún precepto y llegar de la manera más honesta y más directa a la mayor cantidad de gente posible. Yo creo que en ese sentido me podría decir, hablar de una escena así tan clara a la que pertenezco, a la que me gustaría pertenecer, como que me siento un poco delimitando mi trabajo, lo, lo cual me parece que va en contra de, de lo que yo quisiera.
6: En Chile, tú publicas tu música con un pequeño sello, Quema su cabeza. ¿Nos podrías contar al respecto quiénes son Quema su cabeza?
7: Mira, la verdad que es de los sellos más importantes que hay en Chile. Bueno, tú debes saber, pero los radioescuchas deben saber también que, que Chile igual es un país pequeño. O sea, somos 17 millones de personas. Por lo tanto, todo lo que hace, haga, obviamente va a ser muy distinto en repercusión, pero eh, en cuanto al público. Pero, pero el sello Quema su cabeza, se, se, Quema su cabeza dejando de lado por supuesto las multinacionales me da la impresión a mí que es el sello chileno más grande que hay en cuanto a infraestructura, en cuanto a alcance qué sé yo, etc. es una empresa bastante consolidada, yo diría a esta altura son productores de un festival que se llama Neutral bueno, tienen varios artistas en su catálogo digamos en el cual me incluyo con los cuales he sacado 16 discos más algunos EP también y, y la verdad que Quema Su Casa es un sello que partió hace si mal no recuerdo, el año 96 y editando pequeños grupos del Underground Santeguino, principalmente. En el 2004 apareció un disco que se llamaba Cuatro, que, que fue uno de los discos del grupo Congelador. A partir de ese disco en adelante, y en el 2005 que el Pinto el primer disco mío, el sello como que adquirió una mayor infraestructura o, o como que se, con, se empezó a consolidar, a cristalizarse un poquito la, la forma de, de, de trabajar. Y, y a partir de ahí han ha ido construyendo un sello independiente hasta el día de hoy, Con muy buenos resultados, con un crecimiento super bueno y con mucha conciencia, con una ética muy particular o muy respetable, y son ahora, yo diría, como te digo, uno de los sellos más importantes e independientes de Latinoamérica, sin duda.
6: Estás escuchando la voz de Jepe, quien nos acompaña vía telefónica desde Santiago de Chile. Jepe, en un mundo en donde hay tantos problemas políticos y sociales, ¿cuál crees tu que es la tarea de un artista ante estos conflictos?
7: La tarea de un artista, yo diría que en todas partes del mundo, que estamos hablando acá de Latinoamérica o no sé Estados Unidos, Europa, lo que sea, yo creo que es inevitable que todos los actores culturales sean parte del relato más global, digamos, de la realidad global. No creo en que el artista, ya sea un músico en este caso, no juegue un rol eh, dentro de la sociedad. Y por mucho que ese artista quiera desvincularse de la realidad, o no quiera opinar, o no quiera... Justamente eso ya es una manera de participar. Por lo tanto, yo considero que es inevitable, ineludible hacerlo. Y por lo menos en Chile siempre ha habido, inclusive antes de la dictadura, digamos, de, desde el año a ver, 40, 50, principalmente principios de los 60, bastante conciencia social en cuanto a ser conscientemente un reflejo de la realidad y de hablar de eso, digamos, de lo que sucedía en el año 60, por ejemplo, con, con el rescate del folclore más puro, más duro, más crudo, por llamarlo así el cual, en ese momento, el folclore que estaba siendo más visible tenía que ver con un folclore más de salón, más paisajista. En cambio, hubieron muchos artistas como Violeta Parra, Margot Loyola, entre otros, que hicieron ver que el folclor era el folclore real, estaba mucho más conectado a la masa y al, pue- al pueblo, y suena de esta determinada manera. Eso fue lo primero. bueno Luego, después, Víctor Jara la Lapa y Mani hablaron un poco más, más relacionados, digamos, a lo, a lo netamente político-social, acompañando al presidente Salvador Allende... Luego, cuando se fue la dictadura, todos sabemos que muchos de esos artistas también lo hicieron desaparecer, lamentablemente, pero los que quedaron siguieron luchando y aparecieron muchos otros. Entonces, en Chile ha habido una tradición larga de de eso. Y como te digo, es muy difícil eludirlo, esa responsabilidad, porque está ahí siempre. Yo no sé si Chile o Latinoamérica, por ser la realidad que es, digamos, es que es inevitable hacerlo, pero a mí me da la impresión de que un artista siempre va a ser el fiel reflejo de la sociedad o del momento que le tocó vivir, así que, Eh, en Chile ese aspecto no lo omitimos y de buena manera lo somos conscientes
6: y también se refleja pues eh, obviamente en tu material discográfico aunque no sea de una manera muy directa podemos encontrar todos estos elementos musicales y culturales que hablan de pues esta realidad
7: claro hay bastante elementos yo diría para nada forzados quizás pueden estar más solapados pero pero no por eso mismo eh, dejan de estar ¿dechai? y yo siempre soy consciente siempre intento de alguna manera hablar de determinadas cosas Pero siempre a partir de mi sensación más personal e íntima, por lo tanto, nunca he querido que mi música sea panfletaria, ni sea tan inmediata, ¿cachai? O sea, tan, me, tan concreto en el momento. Creo que yo que yo por lo menos mi estilo es más, más que nada abogar por, por la cosa más interna, digamos, por, por eh, intentar estimular eh, la conciencia más íntima, y, y por ahí va la cosa.
6: Jepe, si nuestros radioescuchas quisieran conocer más de tu música, o conseguir la música, la mercancía, eh, ¿dónde te pueden encontrar en las redes sociales?
7: Bueno, redes sociales, lo que quieran saber, digamos, de, 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 al respecto de fechas, por supuesto la gira que vamos a hacer en Estados Unidos está toda instalada en la página de Facebook que tengo, que es bueno, Jepe, eh, buscan Jepe y al tiro le va a aparecer la página, y ahí está la información sin duda, y luego en Instagram y Twitter, estoy como Jepe, 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 que se escribe G-E-P-E o G-E-P-E y ahí también pueden, estar, pueden encontrar toda la, la información
6: Tú te presentas en San Francisco el domingo 18 de marzo en The Brick and Mortar eh, está ubicado en el 1710 de la calle Misión Y después continúas con la gira en Los Ángeles, Chicago, Filadelfia y Nueva York. ¿Algo más que te gustaría agregar para nuestros radioescuchas que piensan asistir a este show?
7: Bueno, simplemente contarles que vamos con la banda completa, por lo tanto va a ser un show extendido, intenso, fuerte. Eh, tenemos un lindo show donde, por supuesto, vamos a mostrar canciones de todos los discos, no solo del último, no solo del ciencia exacta Y como les comentaba también hace un rato, es un show que tiene mucho para, digamos, para bailar en ciertos momentos, pero también hay mucha información, Eh, al respecto de, del lugar donde nosotros provenimos. O sea, nosotros venimos de una realidad chilena, de la, como decimos nosotros, de la última estación del tren que viene hacia Chile, por allá bajito en América del Sur. Y eso yo creo que es una visión bastante particular de, de, de ver el mundo. Y, y eso es lo que queremos entregar y lo van a ver ahí de una manera muy clara y muy personal también.
6: Perfecto. ¿Qué te parece si mientras tanto nos despedimos con otra de tus canciones?
7: Por supuesto. A continuación van a escuchar en la canción llamada Bombachaya, que justamente ahora que estábamos hablando al respecto de la imagen que nosotros les vamos a transmitir a ustedes, si es que nos van a ver en vivo, de nuestro Chile, de nuestro paisaje, de nuestra gente. Bueno, esta canción que se llama Bomba Chaya, tiene que mucho que ver con las sonoridades de la cordillera de los Andes, eh, con el charango y los bronces correspondientes, así que aquí está, disfrútenlo.
4: Hace tiempo que busqué y nunca encontré algo que... Viene Bombacha ya
0: gracias por estar con nosotros. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you'd like to share this program with a friend or listen to it again you can find us on soundcloud.com slash la raza chronicles. If you'd like to find out more about what's happening in your community y también estar al tanto, be up on upcoming events, you can always like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash la raza chronicles. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches.